Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Shot of Time. I'm your host, Steve Barnes, and today we are back recapping Dark. We're on episode five, Lost and Found. Took last week off. We're back. We semi-promised we won't do it to you again. We'll try not to do it to you again. Take a week <laughs> off, that is. But who knows? It might happen in life. Let me bring in my co-host. It wasn't her fault last week. It was my fault. So y'all can be nice to her now and be mean to me. It's Lindsay Dunn from one of my stories. Ahoy there, Lindsay. Ahoy, Steve. How's it going tonight? <laughs> it's going It's going well. I'm ready to go and ready to talk to you because I missed talking to you last week. And as I understand it, our fans are restless. You know, they're just breaking down <laughs> the door. I can't wait to hear what we have to say. <laughs> That's right. It's a it, it's it's both a, a wonderful thing and also a little embarrassing of a thing where somebody's like, "Hey, you didn't record an episode last week. When is the next one coming out?" Appreciate that, Tosh. You're looking out for us. Um, here it is, um, and we're going to try to make sure next week gets you on time as well. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you can tell, Lindsay, but you probably can. I probably have a real like Nebraska vibe about me right now. Like you can smell the corn on me. Um, I was in Nebraska last week. Um, and we have like all new stuff right now. My studio is set up differently. We're recording with a different program. I'm going to be editing with a different program. So if you notice any sound difference or anything's better or worse, please let us know here at sweet shot of time pod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram. Um, I'm curious to know, um, you know, how it's sounding out there as opposed to the last couple episodes. Um, it's our but version of time travel. Steve has a new studio and a new recording device, so we're seeing how things right. are on this side of the tracks. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as usual, um, after this recap, we're going to get into our favorites and our least favorites of the episode and feedback, if we had any, and our project plugs. But Lindsay, you initiated this. You wanted to get on with this recap you're ready to go i am too because this is a great arc of dark a great arc of dark <laughs> it's a great story arc and i wanted to start out by saying a couple episodes back i was like this is where i kind of started like losing focus of where i was in the story especially with old claudia um popping up but this is like the beginning of like a a crest, I think. This is a really neat arc we're getting ready to go through here. Absolutely. I did want to interject a topic before we start the official recap. Something that's kind of on my mind that I think is a neat way to reframe the show or, or just another thing for us to think about as we talk about this. You know, I've already made you think yeah. about colors and... <laughs> <laughs> and watch differently. But I was thinking about that lost missing hoodie. Um, you know, we're okay. always talking about where is the hoodie? Where is <laughs> Magnus's black hoodie? And it made me it made me think about just the topic of things being missing. And so right. the the hoodie's kind of, you know, it's kind of a funny example. It's like, what happened to the hoodie? But <laughs> If you, the, the theme of loss is so prevalent in the show that you could actually, as you look at every scene, I'm not saying we should talk, you know, say this for every scene and talk about it in our recap, but because mm -hmm. that would take a long time. <laughs> but 
if you if you think about it in every scene as you watch the show you could be like what's missing in this scene okay so the hoodie is missing but like waller's eye is missing you know waller's missing his eye um right and katarina is missing her son uh Hannah is missing her husband and Jonas is missing his father. But like, there's so many characters that, um, you know, objects are, you know, a funny example, but there's families are divided in this, in this show. Families get divided. Lovers get separated. So you could almost like just look at any scene in the show and, 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 look at what is missing and how that's impacted the people that are in the room. And, uh, it kind of, it kind of weighed on me a little this week thinking about that as like, you know, it makes, it makes everything, um, even more sad than, (laughs) than it already is and more bleak. I was trying to think about, um, a character who, who might be, you know, well off and not missing something Mm -hmm. and doing okay. And I can't think of one. Because I think you're right. Everybody is missing something, whether it's like a person, a thing, or someone that they've, you know, lost, not just they're missing, but they're deceased. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people that go lost in time. And so they're just, they're (laughs) missing in the, they might not be missing from the narrative. They're in a different time period. But for that Mm -hmm. person in that present, they are missing and I think that's one of the reasons why the show is so relatable is because we've all experienced that kind of loss. Yeah. And and so like when I think about because you reminded me about the hoodie this week um, because you you know <laughs> sent me a picture, which we maybe we'll talk about that later in the episode. But it's mm-hmm. it was like, um, you know, because of the because of the theme of loss, then. And and some of these things never get a re- resolution, um, so it's like it's just I don't know it's just kind of a heavy thing that made me made me feel sad, and I just wondered if if you thought about that, Steve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not necessarily that. No, you're introducing that concept to me, so I'm I'm now grappling with that in my mind, like thinking back to characters. Um, so I haven't noticed a general overall theme mm. like that, but I will say that like. I came cl- I was like, hmm, how about um, Francisca? And I was like, no, she's missing the the um, presence of her parents. And I was like, well, Noah seems like kind of like a guy that's kind of like out there on his own. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he's missing a lot. I think he's missing a past. I think he's missing his normal life. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot that he's missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's sort of a character he- that's gone on mission a little bit. Like he's sort of, you know, he's on... He's on some kind of mission or cause. Obviously. And we're we're getting to see more of what's really going on with Noah, like in this episode especially, is that yeah, sure, these people all seem fine, but they're they've they've gone they've grown into twisted versions of themselves um because of because of this because of loss and and so they right. they've grown in this direction. Um, but Francisca, Francisca, she's, she, you could say she's missing her innocence or happiness. You know, she's upset about the fact that there's so many secrets 
So mm-hmm. she feels like she's been robbed of her life. She's so she robbed does. of it, she's ready to leave and run away <laughs> from home. <laughs> right. I would. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, Lindsay. I, I'm just going to give that one to you then. Give you the mm-hmm. win because I can't. I can't think of anything to follow up with that to say that. Um, you know, I've been noticing besides just the the general theme of um. I think I, I think I mentioned last week how everybody has their turn to to get sad and to cry and to feel that and we usually get that every episode so that's usually what I wait for every episode I'm like who you know what sad is going to happen what kind of you know how deep of the sad emotion are we going to feel this time around mm-hmm. um I'm not much of a crier like when I watch um shows but but this episode and then um don't tell anybody but i skipped ahead i watched episode six too and both of those episodes made me tear up at certain key points um so i don't know i think this i think that's what draws me to the show is the emotion and these people feel real instead of just like you know scripts on a page Mm -hmm. right and that's why the english dub is so (laughs) <laughs> not great because it does make it feel more like a script on a page. Um, that's just my personal belief. I'm, I'm sure that half our listeners probably listen to it in English or their, their home language. Um, I guess there's nothing wrong with that, but I think watching it in its, as I just proved tonight to Heather, <laughs> watching it in its um, native language is the way to go. Any show or movie. But I'm ready to get into the recap now, if you are. I am. I'm going to hand it off to you then, Lindsay. <laughs> okay, so this episode begins similar to the last episode. We've got a camera panning up two bodies entwined in passionate lovemaking. That's right. We see Marta and the person lying on top of her. We see his back and it's all scarred and we realize that it's the stranger. So stranger Jonas and now Marta are in bed together. Marta's face turns to shock and horror as she looks at her belly and there's this black blob that Uh appears over her stomach. And it looks a lot like that um, very scary God particle, the unstable one. That Jonas right. was trying to was trying to stabilize earlier. The, the first time I watched it, I thought it was like the like represented like the black paint of like his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, then I whipped out your uh, your recap to watch it the second time, and going by what you said and looking at the visuals, I was like, oh yeah, um, you, Lindsay is correct. I think it is that, and I also think it's interesting. This is something that um, that my wife Heather pointed out. She was like, this is her word. She was saying, it's almost as if like, you know, stranger Jonas like impregnated her with that. Like he placed that into like her belly because that's, you know, where it showed up is like right there on her belly. Um, Which I didn't think about that. I thought that was an interesting point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like an instant, I guess. It's an instant thing that appears from (laughs) this um from this lovemaking episode and it looks like <laughs> like something's tainted and yeah. their their love we know their love is tainted um because of this whole oh y'all are related <laughs> so this is whatever is going on between them 
And we have to remember the person that wakes up is Stranger Jonas. So this is what's going on in his mind. Right. You know, he and he and Marta are they're dreaming, having these parallel dreams. Right. And for him, it's like our togetherness would lead to something bad. So. Sure. Okay. You said she registered shock on her face, but I think Mm -hmm. she was shocked at what was in her belly, not shocked at seeing the older version of Jonas. At least that's what I registered anyway, because I saw this as kind of normal. Like it looks weird. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Older Jonas with young Martha. It looks weird, but it actually makes total sense because this is still Jonas having this dream. So of course he's just going to insert his, you know, as dreams do you, Mm-hmm. pretty much stay yourself in the dream. So it was more unusual if he was, it, w- it would be more unusual if he was dreaming about himself as his younger self. This makes more sense that he's, you know, remembering that, but he places his older self in that moment. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think it could be either, like for me, it was, it is in Stranger Jonas's head that she was mostly, horrified by the belly but it's almost like also marta's we know that Mar- marta's desire is for young Jonas, the teenage Jonas. um but so for him he may be thinking he may be feeling like okay this is the woman yeah them them being together as him being an older person with a younger person that might be offensive to her you know that might be offensive to marta so for Jonas, he might be feeling like oh she would think i was a monster you know she wouldn't have that desire for me she wants the younger self so i kind of think that that like the horror was the belly but also it was kind of like wait it's you not the one i want you know hmm okay I guess another thing, this scene too, was his back. You were talking about how his back had that mm-hmm. um, that weird scars on it. I got to admit, I didn't really see the triangle that you were talking about. Like, it didn't look to me like the, the sick Mundus tattoo. But it did look like on his shoulder, there was an awful lot of, like, weird Adam-looking scars <laughs> all mm-hmm. over his shoulders, which we were kind of, like, debating last week. Not debating, but just kind of you raised the question and... I was like, hmm, that, you know, is Adam telling the truth? Is Adam who he says he is? Is he really older Jonas? And, well, I mean, looking at stranger Jonas's shoulder, I think that leads um, evidence that it is um, because Mm -hmm. he's slowly turning into that. Yeah, this image didn't look look at any triangle. That was definitely more like in the refrigerator scene when he goes down to the kitchen. Mm. But this, it did look like it got worse as it went up, but we only saw his shoulders for like one second, but it looked like there was more scarring like further up. After that scene, we have 1921 and teen Jonas wakes up in bed with the bandage around his neck. And this time when he wakes up, it's Adam (laughs) who's sitting nearby watching. People Uh, love to watch each other sleep in the show. (laughs) Adam could have had the decency to pretend to be reading a book or something. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, like he's just reading a book waiting for him to wake up. But no, he's just sitting there staring at at Jonas. (laughs) I'm so handsome when I was younger. (laughs) So Adam muses how often, how people often feel aversion for those most like us. Right. 
He knows that Jonas is still in shock to learn that, hey, this is your future. And Jonas just says, I, I just want to go home, you know, reminds mm -hmm. him about that. And Adam tells Jonas that he should get dressed and leaves the room. Jonas sees that Adam has laid out an outfit for him. <laughs> How kind. <laughs> uh, khakis, white sneakers, and a yellow raincoat. Which, you know, the yellow raincoat is his symbol, but he hasn't worn the yellow raincoat since he's been lost in time. So right. this is a little bit, uh, kind of a look into his past. Like, here's what you should wear today. And it's, the yellow raincoat we've talked about before can like represent his hope and feelings about life before he became a traveler. Sure. It's like his Jonas costume. That's the way I saw it. It's <laughs> like his Halloween costume as Jonas. If you want to dress up as Jonas for Halloween, here's what you need. And yeah, it was neat that, that, that outfit was like nice and new laid out for him. Adam's mm -hmm. got a purpose here. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's very neat stuff. I like it. It could almost be like a Best Buy outfit, except for the yellow raincoat. I mean, he's got—it's like just the average Joe kind of outfit. Here's what we want you to put you on, put on today. I was very close to buying a yellow rain jacket that I found in Nebraska in a thrift store. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, of course, because I don't—I don't need a yellow rain jacket, but I almost did just for the hell of it because it looked very similar to Jonas's. <laughs> Who doesn't need a yellow rain jacket? I mean, it's iconic. <laughs> My work supplies me with, I have a blue one, a black one, a fluorescent yellow, and a fluorescent orange one. I don't need another one. <laughs> so then June 25th, 2020, it's two days before the apocalypse. The stranger is next to Hannah's bed <laughs> while she's sleeping. He learned it from himself. <laughs> he seems to be just considering her. Um, after a moment, he walks down the stairs and out of the house with the suitcase in hand, a.k.a. the time machine. And we're not really sure where he's going. Right, right. It seems like he's leaving like with some kind of, I wrote down, leave, looks like he's leaving with finality. Um, and he seems disgusted with Hannah. It's like he has a sudden change. Like last episode, he was, um, well, the episode before last, he time traveled with her. And then last episode mm -hmm. is when they were hanging out in the bunker and they were telling Katerina what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I guess somewhere in that whole transaction of words and maybe Ulrich thrown in the mix, he's kind of had a change of heart about how he feels about her, it seems like, between last episode and this episode. Yeah, I, I wondered about that too. Um, maybe when Maybe when we have their kind of argument scene we can we can talk about that a little more yeah because i'm you not can see sure on his face he's not thrilled with her right now <laughs> yeah yeah well i i don't know i felt i felt for me it was kind of open-ended i i couldn't really tell what he was thinking here um okay. but you said he looks he you said he seemed disgusted i'm not sure if i if i saw that clearly on his face you know okay but maybe I was looking for it. Maybe I recognize <laughs> those that are like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Nielsen house. Katerina okay. is clutching the photo of Mickle from 1986, his class photo. 
Magnus and Marta come downstairs with their time machine that they have now stolen from Bartosh. <laughs> Katarina asks them to wait because she needs to tell them something. And I kind of suspect she was going to show them the picture of Mikkel and explain that. Exactly. Yeah. He went, what she had found. But at this point, Marta is mad and has no interest in listening to what Katarina has to say. Yep. She wants Katarina to hear what she's got to say. <laughs> I mean, she's got a lot to say here. And you are right. You said a couple episodes ago. Because I was musing, like, oh, maybe this is like a new thing. Maybe they've just been distant from their kids, like, for a couple days. But it seems like it's been months now um, since she's been, like, an attentive mother and that Marta has felt seen in some way. So, yeah, yeah she's, she's beyond apologies at this point. Marta, that is. I don't know. I, I kind of think, in general, Marta is pretty annoying in this episode <laughs> like she's just <laughs> mad at everybody for some reason um and i it's not yeah it's not clear to me exactly what she's thinking like i said i feel like she all she just seems to care about the only thing she seems to care about is Jonas, and i don't know like marta almost seems to think she's got it worse than anybody else which is which is typical yeah. of everybody. We think like we're alone in our grief and like no one understands how I feel, but I don't know. She's just like yelling at everybody. <laughs> so. Um, so uh, Marta just walks out of the house and Magnus follows along. So Katerina is left alone. Magnus doesn't really say any like anything grouchy to her, but. He's just doing his stolid, you know, <laughs> oh, well, here I'll go to. Um, they're, I guess they're just anxious to get back to the cave so um, they can beat up on Bartosh again. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess they were anxious to get back there because they knew they had left him there and they just wanted to, They, I guess they were feeling that anxiety. But of course, I'm all like on the edge of my seat, like, look at what. Katarina has she's got mm -hmm. a picture of nickel and y'all have a time machine in your hand this is all coming together but you're you're <laughs> not yeah. letting it happen Marta nope. and I guess that's maybe why Marta has, has to play it up this scene for that mm -hmm. exact reason to make sure they stay distant so at the Tiedemann house Alexander's on the phone trying to get information about Inspector Clausen he wants someone to check the record. <laughs> I says, kind of. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, like when me and Heather watched it in German just now, she really appreciated it when he was like, Barbara, the, the Klaus and Gott. And the, <laughs> the way he like, it sounded like he said a dirty word there, but I guess <laughs> I just love the way he's barking about it. What were you going to say about Klausen? Oh, I was just going to say that um, now that when I wrote this recap, I was. I wasn't quite as putting pieces together. I'm, I'm wondering if who he's talking to is actually Waller. I think it is. Um, Cause I said he wants an associate to check the record. It's like, we all know who is, who his uh, servant, his band servant is. One of them is, <laughs> is Waller. Um, well, I wrote down here in my notes. I was going to, you know, I think it's Waller is what I wrote here. So yeah, I, we're on the same page. <laughs> 
So um, as he hangs up the phone, Regina comes in looking really frail. She's got nothing on her hair, so we can clearly see how much hair she's lost. And she is worried about Bartosh because his bed hasn't been slept in. Mm -hmm. And Alexander tries to tell her that everything's okay. I'm sure he's with Marta. And Regina just says, well, they've broken up. And he hugs her and tells her everything will be all right. And that's their their thing is she'll say, like, tell me everything will be all right. And he says, everything will be all right. But I thought this was really sweet because, like, Regina seems to know they broke up. Right. Um, <laughs> and it's just like moms. Yeah, moms always know. So that was I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, you're right. And I'll. um you know, of course they have the refrain, you know, she wants to be assured that everything is all right. Absolutely nothing is all right right now. <laughs> I was trying to count down all the different ways, like Bartosh is missing, the hotel's closed down, the power plant's getting ready to close down, Clausen's up his butt right now, he knows something's going on with that, Hannah knows about his past, she has cancer, Nothing, nothing is going right right now, but she still needs that reassuring hug from him, which he gives to mm-hmm. her. You know, he, does, he isn't like me, like being a jerk, pointing out all the bad stuff. He just gives her a hug and tells her it's going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the time to give to give Regina any more things to worry about. <laughs> no reality lesson. <laughs> so. But yeah, their their affect towards each other is really sweet here. Yeah, always. Yes. I hope that doesn't stop. I keep my fingers crossed on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then in 1987, Ulrich is in the psychiatric hospital. He watches as an orderly uses a key card to open a locked door, and the creepy music lets us know he has something on his mind. That's right. He loves key cards. <laughs> And they called him Dirkamisar again. I love it when they do that. <laughs> yeah, it was like he says, he basically says, uh, hello, Inspector. You know, like mm-hmm. the guy's using his using his pet name. Little do they know he actually is an inspector, but shh. <laughs> yeah, they don't realize that fact. <laughs> now we're with Claudia in her office reading through the newspapers about Egon's death. Her assistant comes in to tell her that the French delegation is all here and waiting. And she looks so happy about it. Everybody's here. And <laughs> and Cla- Claudia just says, cancel the meeting and cancel everything. You know, what are you looking at me for? The assistant looks really shocked. Mm-hmm. And Claudia is wearing her bright red shirt. Right. Yep, and her secretary is going to be quitting anytime now. That's that's no way to treat your secretary to like lay it all on them to cancel, especially when the emissary has showed up and they're there at the plant. I mean, I, I know Claudia is single minded and she you know has <laughs> things she wants to do. We know what she's going to do. This can wait till after work. She can go to Egon's house after work. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. This isn't how you run a company, Claudia. Uh, That's but. right. We were mad at her irresponsibility. <laughs> we seriously were. <laughs> but this this assistant is tickles me because she's always wearing these 
I don't know, Star Trek <laughs> outfits. I don't know what, what it is she's wearing, but I like her her fashion sense. It's very 1980s. Yeah, uh, the first outfit she was wearing in the first episode we saw her was insane, and she's toned down since then. I'm glad. <laughs> Maybe somebody gave her a talking to on her first day. Like, you might want to not wear a military <laughs> garb at work. <laughs> well, the French are all are here. The French are all here, Steve, so she had to tone it down uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> she should have wore a beret. <laughs> So 1921, the Sigmundus Layer. Jonas looks at the Fall of the Dam painting on the wall. He's wearing his yellow raincoat and his assigned outfit. (laughs) Adam tells Jonas that men live three lives. One lasts until the loss of naivety, the next Mm -hmm. until the loss of innocence, and the third until the loss of life. Jonas tries to stop him from all of this speech making and he wants to return to his time, be done with this nonsense. Right. He mentions he's seen the graves and knows what will happen if nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Adam says you have plenty of time because it's only 1921. The apocalypse won't happen for 99 years. <laughs> that doesn't really help Jonas right now, though. <laughs> I mean... Jonas is like, I just came from my time, so it's not exactly 99 linear years, buddy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm i not a big fan of all these riddles from Adam. He he talks in riddles, and he talks in this really um, you know, elo- eloquent way. And usually it's not until like the, my second or third watching that I really grasp onto what he's saying, because usually I'm just waiting for the next line waiting to see how Jonas is going to react. And it's not that I don't appreciate these themes that he brings up, but they're um, some pretty heavy handed stuff. And he likes to give a riddle for like a simple question. Mm -hmm. That's usually his answer. Well, well also I have problems with this one, I think because I'm really struggling with the difference between (laughs) naive being naive and being innocent. I'm like, um, so I'm like semantics. I'm wanting to argue about words, but I think oh. what, yeah. So chime in, chime in with that. Yeah. But I think what Jonas is, or not Jonas, what Adam is doing here is he's using this thing about the three lives to kind of make Jonas to, for to help Jonas out as he's musing through this, like there's me, there's the stranger and there's Adam. There's, those are his three selves. And Mm -hmm. so he's trying to frame like, you know, you'll become that guy and that guy will become me. And, um, but yeah, it was this, this quote I have a big problem with because I'm like (laughs) naive and innocent seem pretty synonymous to me. So thoughts about that? (laughs) Yeah. Let me explain it this way then. So your first life is your, uh, loss of naivety. So basically what he's trying to say is you're no, you no longer have like the wool pulled over your eyes at this point. Like you don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. Um, you know how the world actually works and you kind of understand your place in it. Um, the rose colored glasses have come off. Then when you enter the second phrase of life, loss of innocence is much different. It's more along the lines of you, you kind of take 
um, I'm speaking from somebody who's 52 or 51, I should say. And I look back on my life and I see wrong turns I have made. I see the wrong paths I have gone down. Um, and I kind of, you know, equal that to like a loss of innocence. It's like, I realize that, that some of the things I have done are wrong and I've ended up where I am now, but I'm not exactly innocent. You know what I mean? I've kind of, you know, as a adult, I can, we've done things, I guess I should say. Does that kind of make sense in that respect? It's like, I think innocence and naivety are, are a little bit different. Naivety is like your head's in the clouds. Your loss of innocence is you've actively, you know, done something. Is how I see it anyway. I'll, I'll accept what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I have said words. <laughs> I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about our three Jonases and how is this like, do these, do these terms okay. fit our three dudes, you know? Um, but well, the, the, the first Jonas, um, had, the first Jonas, yeah, he was, he, he was obviously like naive before about, about like the existence of time travel and, right. um, and but then the second I, Jonas yeah. though has sometime in his life, we, we haven't seen it yet because all we've seen is him, you know, kind of creeping around and. <laughs> interacting <laughs> with people we haven't seen him actually like do something that's like altered the course besides you know leave mementos for Jonas yeah but I get the sense that he has charted a course and in that course that he's charted it hasn't always been you know the most innocent of choices that he made you know yeah I mean I think he was in the last you know, at the at the end of season one, he, something did happen. You know, he obviously, mm, yeah, closed. He the opened gates. the um, he opened the portal, uh, or you know, closed the door instead of eliminating mm -hmm. it or whatever. So he he sort of like he tried to do his plan and it didn't work. So now he's trying to do something else. But I get, I guess, I sort of I get where he's going here. But I I feel like mostly. Adam is using this to frame, to show, oh, yeah. to show Jonas, like, I'm not innocent or naive. I'm like, I'm the wisdom uh, here at the end, you know, so you should listen yeah. to me in my gray suit. So it's a little bit of a power play, probably it's, more than anything. You're right. Yep. He's got that nice suit. He's got his nice surroundings around him <laughs> to make himself feel big. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. He's got the grand living room and the, the velvet couch. Um. Okay. Anything else for this scene? Mm -mm, nope. All right. 1987. The orderly brings Ulrich a snack and starts to yammer on about Ronald Reagan's <laughs> speech at the Berlin Wall. Mm -hmm. This is this is something I had to look up because I was like, what's Same. he talking about? Because I thought he was talking mm -hmm. about the Berlin Wall, but he mentions the Olympics. And then I realized at that Berlin Wall speech, Ronald Reagan proposed that the 1988 Olympics would be in East and West Berlin. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that did not happen. That that it, the Olympics did not take place. It was, um, I believe, Seoul. Right. Is where it took place. But it's the same yeah. speech that he did, like the tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev, right. tear down this wall, which that didn't happen until 89. 
So that didn't happen in this time frame, but like it's definitely like in the lexicon right now. But my research showed that at this time in America, that this speech didn't have quite the impact that it did. It wasn't until the wall actually came down that they started replaying that that Reagan speech about tear down this wall. So I wonder like how much of an impact um, it actually had in Germany at that time, because if the media is telling me it, you know, wasn't as big of a story until later in America, I wonder if it got completely buried to some people, especially like in West Berlin, because West Berlin was the one that was walled off, right? No, well, I'm showing, I saw this speech took place in June of 1987. So the I speech, think it- The speech took place in 87, <clears throat> but the okay, wall okay. came down in 89. Okay. So what I was reading was that the speech itself in 87 didn't, you know, get the press that it got until the wall actually came down. And mm-hmm. then it okay. got a lot of got a lot of play. Well, it impressed this orderly. Yeah, so much that he like just kind of <laughs> lost his senses and he just lets things happen to him. <laughs> so Ulrich um, pulls out a large bowl. It looks like a pottery bowl from under yeah, the pillow. It made it in ceramics class. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and knocks the security guard out with this bull, takes the man's key card, and walks outside the hospital. It's that easy to get out of a psychiatric ward. In 19... Well, wait, that's not 1987. That's 2019 right there. No, this is 1987 this is happening. It's 1987, yeah. Oh, yeah, they had key cards in 1987 like that. That's pretty (laughs) dope. I didn't know, but I guess so. I mean, if you as long as you play it cool like Ulrich did... (laughs) Yeah. So now we're at Egon Tiedemann's apartment. Claudia has popped in for a visit. Mm -hmm. Egon is surprised because she doesn't come to visit very often. Claudia tries to play it off that she just wanted to see how he was holding up. And Egon kind of mistakes her awkwardness as concern about the cancer. Right. He then starts to talk about how proud he is of her. Claudia is not really wanting to talk about this topic. I noticed <laughs> yeah. she kind of shut down when he mentions her mother. He says, exactly. I'm proud of you and I, your mother would be as well. And at that, that's when she's kind of like, let's change the subject, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she yeah, announces, they still don't make it clear. I'm yeah. sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say they still don't make it clear, you know, what happened to her mother or Egon and her mother at this point. So we still don't kind of know, but we know Mm -hmm. she's not there, obviously. Yeah, it's not. She's missing. See, she's missing. (laughs) She is. And Ulrich (laughs) lets us know that, you know, Egon turns into a drunk and, you know, his wife leaves him. So Mm -hmm. Ulrich spoiled that for us back in the first season. She announces that she wants Egon to move in with her and Regina, and tomorrow would be best. <laughs> so Egon is pretty shocked that, that, that she's like ready for this to happen already. Yeah. And he says, you're acting like I'm on my deathbed. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't know this, but she knows that he's going to be dying tomorrow or something, right? Yeah, I mean, Claudia could be, could be just like, here, Dad, look what I found. 
But uh, yeah, that's she didn't pull that newspaper out. I'm trying to imagine like my grandfather was in this situation too. Like he he lived alone after um, my grandmother and my uncle passed away. Um, he lived alone, but he had his house. He he's always been the guy who took care of the house, and he was always the guy who did meals and stuff. So he was able to take care of himself. He was a healthy guy up until the day he died. Um, I'm trying to imagine like what it would have been like if my mom like walks into his house and was like, I want you to come live with us tomorrow. You know, Stephen mm-hmm. Vicky would love to spend more time with you. <laughs> he would be like, Oh, I guess, but I kind of got a house here. And yeah. <laughs> I got my own life. Um, it's just a really weird thing to, sp- I mean, I understand where she's coming from, obviously, but it's, it's a big thing to spring yeah. on. And I think she could have been more like, Hey, on June 27th, why don't we plan a day and go out in the country and stay away from our homes all day? How about that? I think that might've been a better plan. A different. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, she's not good with those soft skills. No. Steve. <laughs> she's just like, cancel all my appointments, you batty oh, assistant. You know, like. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Why do we like Claudia anyway? <laughs> she gets things done. She does. She's efficient. She's a little, but- she's a little abrupt, but. <laughs> I mean, I do like her. I like the actress that plays the adult Claudia a lot. But mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about like, you know, her warmth and her her love and I don't know, <laughs> not a whole lot there. Yeah, there's not there's not much there, is there? Nope. <laughs> um, twenty twenty. Hannah is at the kitchen table reading a note. The table is covered in pictures of the family, and Katerina knocks on the door. It's another one of the famous Nielsen stopover, popovers at the at the Conwald <laughs> house. And bang on the door while you're at it. That's like their knock, too. They bang. <laughs> yeah. She asks to see stranger Jonas, but Hannah tells her that he has left. And she wants, and Katerina's like, how can I see Mikkel? You saw Mikkel. How can I see him? And Hannah mentions that you need a time machine. Katarina <laughs> kind of laughs and uh, thinking Hannah is joking, but Hannah reiterates that it doesn't matter anyway because the stranger has taken the suitcase and left with it. The suitcase is missing. Right. Um, Katarina notices the pictures on the table and picks looks at different ones of Mikkel slash Michael. Now that she knows this is her son, she can look at these pictures differently and she muses that he was right there the whole time she then starts ranting at hannah a little shaming her for sleeping with both her husband and her son and wanting everything that belonged to her (laughs) man katarina again I got to figure out, I mean, I haven't looked at the, who this actress is, but I really want to see more of her work because I love when she like, when she does these laughs and when she's kind of in disbelief, she really plays it well. Um, she calls Hannah a parasite and that's the same thing that Ulrich called her in the car mm-hmm. that day that he was pissed off at her. Yeah. And she also asks Hannah, did Ulrich ever... Something along the lines of like, you know, do you really think Ulrich ever loved you? And Hannah, by her face, she knows that, no, he didn't. 
Like he never did say he loved her. Um, those are the couple notes that I have from that conversation, which I, I love this whole conversation between Katarina and Hannah. Any of their interactions are good just because of Katarina. I like the way she reacts. Mm-hmm. Well, the, it was a little rewarding, I guess, because there was that scene where, where Hannah kind of led Katarina to believe that, you know, he was going to leave you for me and Ulrich isn't there to correct the rumor. And we saw how Katarina just like crumpled up into a little paper ball. And now it's Katarina's past the pathetic stage. And she's now yep. <laughs> like, re- she's, it's coming, dawning on her that more than likely that wasn't really true. Yeah. I'm glad that she's realizing that too. Yeah. For, for her own self-esteem. And then um the, I, I'm, I will never know this, but I just, it's got to be fascinating to think about what her opinion of the adult Michael is like before she found out any of this stuff, like, you know, mm-hmm. when they were living their normal lives before everything happened, when she sees like Michael around town, like, mm-hmm. you know, did she think he was a creep? Did she, was she like feel connected to him? Did like, you know, I'm, it's yeah. just fascinating to think of like if they ever had any interactions yeah, I mean, it's the if we're um yeah, there's we haven't seen them interact yet and to be like to find out like did they did the did they ever have a double date? <laughs> you know, was <laughs> yeah, it like right. <laughs> I would no. I, I would say not. I mean, judging I don't know. I'm I'm speaking ahead now. I, I better shut my mouth because like yeah. I said, I, I watched ahead a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. You did. And I'm going to shame you for it just a little bit, but, um, I deserve okay. it, but you know, we took a whole week <laughs> off. What else am I supposed to do? <laughs> Be patient. Um, <laughs> that's okay. There's another knock at the door. This time it's inspector Clausen. <laughs> Two visitors. <laughs> he chides Hannah for missing her appointment yesterday to talk to him. Hannah says she forgot. <laughs> Clausen finds that interesting since her yeah. own son is missing. And he's pretty interested that Katarina is visiting and says that she's the last person he expected to see. And in the last episode, Waller told him about Hannah and Ulrich having an affair. So Clausen mm-hmm. here is kind of low-key hinting that he knows things about them. Right, yeah, based on hearsay that Waller can't even confirm. <laughs> yeah. He then holds up this sketch of the stranger. Have you seen this man? <laughs> <laughs> and asks if either of them knows who this man is. Katarina looks him dead in the eye and says no, and then mm-hmm. gives Hannah a meaningful look. And I really, I love it. I always love the scene because I'm like, these two are rivals, but... They stand in unity against the outsider of Clausen. No matter how much they don't value each other, they like Clausen even less. Yeah, Katarina can't tell Clausen that she knows who Stranger Jonas is. I mean, she's a rival. Like, I don't under, I'm just trying to imagine a world in which she would be like, yeah, that's her son. I just don't see it happening. So she kind of forced to be a rival in a way. But I don't think she would have to say, um, 
yes, I know this is her, her son, but she could have been like, <laughs> yeah, he's a bad man, you know, similar to how, you know, Ulrich is now being held for something he didn't do. She could easily say like, yeah, he's a child murderer. <laughs> so the Clausen, next time the Clausen saw, if the Clausen saw the stranger, I mean, he'd probably pick up Jonas anyway, but. I guess she's thinking fast because. She's yeah. thinking faster than me because if she did tell Klausen who he was and where he was, then Klausen would then take him into custody mm-hmm. and he would take that time machine and put it in, you know, some place that nobody could ever get it. Yeah. So she probably wants to talk to Jonas way before she wants Klausen to find him. Yeah. I, I guess I'm like, I'm kind of, I have no substantiation for what I want to believe. I just want to believe they both are like, we hate Klausen together. We hate each <laughs> other, but we hate this guy even, even, even more. And, yep. you know, it's like that small town mentality. So, uh, Hannah also says, of course, that she doesn't know the person that in the sketch. Right. We're now back at the Nielsen house. We hear the sound of breaking glass. Stranger Jonas just walks inside the house. Walks well, after up- breaking that glass. <laughs> <laughs> walks upstairs to March's room and sits down, kind of just breathing in the scent of, of her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's been 33 years since he's seen her, but he places the St. Christopher pendant on her pillow. And the pendant is a time loop, kind of similar to um, Ulrich and Egon <laughs> with the creator lyrics. You know, they keep giving this this uh, pendant to one another. Right, right. When did they give it to each other before this point? Because the um, only time I remember seeing it is like, I think Egon has it like hanging. He has the St. Christopher's medallion hanging from his rear view but i don't remember before this it passing anybody's hands i know we've seen it before this i know we've seen it before this episode well beside that point you were saying that he was breathing in the scent of marta and like you know just loving being in the presence of her room he took a shower and he put some nice clothes on a nice shirt with a collar on it tucked his shirt in it's almost like he was expecting her to be there and wanted to look as nice as possible so his dream could come true. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1921, Adam and Jonas are still in conversation. Jonas asks if Adam knows everything that will happen. Adam says he lists some things he does know and but he says, you know, he has limits. He doesn't know what his, uh, do you have the word? He said an interesting word. That his, his counterpart. counterpart. He doesn't know what his counterpart will do. Right. Um, and Adam teases the possibility of a loophole and a way to change time. Otherwise, things will happen as they always have. So when he mentioned the counterpart, who, who did you think he was talking about? I thought he was talking about stranger Jonas. Um, Cause I think of a counterpart as like, you know, somebody that's like, you know, you're a part of you or a part of your team. So I was thinking either stranger Jonas or 
Noah, and that's it. Those are the only two people I've seen hang out with um, Adam. So I was mm. thinking it must be one of the two of them. Okay. What about you? Um. Well, I wondered if it was. I wondered if it was Claudia. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, another good call, fellow she's traveler. She's sort of like the leader of the. <laughs> You know, they both say each other is the shadow. I walk in the light. He walks in the shadow. Um, I don't see Claudia as much of like a, I guess, like authoritarian or more of a a go-getter type of figure as Adam, though. I mean, I see Adam like making moves and like thinking about things like a chessboard. She's the leader of that of that side. We've seen she's the like director of it. You know, she. she guides uh, Egon, sorry, she guides Trant and Peter. She guides Jonas, what he should do. Um, not the younger, the older Claudia I'm talking about, not the younger right. one. Yeah. So she, it but, seems like yeah. she's more of a guide than more of like a, a mastermind, though. That's, that's just kind of what I'm seeing. I guess because we're seeing Adam in this lair and he's like <laughs> always like thoughtful and saying all this stuff. And Claudia is like always on the run with her jacket on. Um, so maybe that's yeah. why she doesn't have an air of authority about her. But it seems like he's a planner and she is like a doer. I mean, yeah. obviously I'm wrong about this, but that's just how it seems to me. Yeah. I thought this, I guess I was a little confused by the scene overall because he was making it sound like I don't know what this person is going to do. Like if he's Stranger Jonas, then how could he not know what he's going to do? So I wouldn't think it was Jonas. I would think maybe Noah, because we already know that Noah has lied to him at one time and uh, about the pages. Um, I guess yeah. he's lied to him. And it almost seems like there's like a strife in their con- in their relationship at this point. Hmm. I, don't know. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> guessing as well. I know it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. He says he knows like when wars end to begin and he knows what stocks to invest in. Yeah. And that's how he gets his cool lair is he knows to <laughs> invest in the right stocks and buy government bonds at the right time and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so back to, back to 2020, Clausen and Hannah are having their conversation still. Clausen mentions that no one in the town wants to talk and that everyone has secrets. Mm-hmm. Hannah just says nothing, of course, um, that fits. He then yeah. turns his attention to the topic of Alexander Tiedemann. He shares that he knows she's no longer his therapist, but he's still paying you the same amount of money each month. Hannah says people in Winden stick together, and Alexander wanted to help her out after Michael's suicide. Clausen isn't it. I love that buying. <laughs> What the which comeback? Hannah's. I mean, it, it, yeah. it's such a it's such a plausible um, story mm-hmm. that it's hard to deny, and she comes up with it so quickly. Yeah, but yeah, like you said, Klaus and ain't buying it. I'll let you continue. <laughs> he picks up a photo of Hannah, Katarina, and Oric as teenagers. Oric is in the middle with his arms around both girls. Klausen mentions that people <laughs> or muses that people in Winden seem to share beds too. And 
At this point, I'm just like, Clausen hasn't, obviously hasn't taken any good interrogation classes or rapport building classes. If he really wants people to confide in him, he should take kind of a more subtle approach. And this this lets me know that if Clausen will learn anything, it won't be by questioning the townspeople, which makes it kind of like, why are you even talking to people? Because you obviously have a lot of information. Most of the information you've gotten isn't from talking to anybody that we've seen. He must have a huge opinion of himself. You know, he's a smart guy. No doubt he's smart and he's resourceful. But if he had a lick of self-awareness, then he would have an assistant with him that asks all the questions and then Clausen would just sit there and take notes and observe. But mm-hmm. instead, he thinks that he's got to be the one to get in there and insult people to their faces I mean, Hannah should have slapped him for that. I'm no Hannah fan, but <laughs> I was waiting. I, I think he's a rude, insinuating. I wrote that down right here. <laughs> I wrote bad words about Clausen. I didn't like that comment or the way he was, like you said, as a professional, that that's not the way that you, you handle a lead. If you even think you have a lead, that's not <laughs> the way you go about it. Yeah, I mean, if he's going to be bad cop, he needs a good cop to come mm-hmm. with him. Yeah, Waller. <laughs> Obvious choice. <laughs> I don't know. We haven't seen Waller do any, um, you know, we haven't seen him do any interrogation. So we don't really know what his skill level is. I, I would say, you know, it would be, it'd be more effective to take to take like a Charlotte with you. A Charlotte, yeah. She's respected by everybody, but she does. she's not interested in working with him. <laughs> She's gone sick. Can't imagine why. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the Wyndon Caves. The teen team walks with purpose towards the caves. Elizabeth looks behind her, seeming to sense they might be being followed. Mm -hmm. But she soon follows Francisca and the rest of the group. We see that adult Noah is hiding behind a tree watching the teens enter the cave. <laughs> it's like almost expect like Noah behind one tree and then stranger Jonas behind another tree. Both of them sitting there taking notes of who's coming in and out of the cave at all given time. <laughs> well, if it was like an earlier episode, it would also be Magnus behind there watching Francisca, but he's with <laughs> them. Right. So he can't be part of that group. <laughs> Nope, he's got to be part of it. <laughs> oh, is he eating an apple here? That's what I was wondering if he was maybe chomping on an apple while he was doing this. I didn't see one. I didn't see any apple eating this time. <laughs> but it was super creepy that Noah's, you know, behind there. I don't know. If I lived in Wyndon, that would be my favorite spot to hang out in. <laughs> Absolutely. Behind the tree next to the cave. <laughs> see who's coming in and who's going out and how old they are. <laughs> only if the, but only if the um, armchairs there to sit on to like you know to wait on, hang on on. Uh, well, it was chair nice looks comfy. comfy. Yeah. In 1921, they had little benches set up with little pickaxes and stuff. It looked pretty cozy. <laughs> um, the bunker. Charlotte and the stranger are together mm-hmm. inside. Charlotte questions him about Noah again. The stranger reiterates that Noah is a traveler and Adam's puppet. He also confirms that Noah has killed three children, Mads, Eric, and Yasin. And 
you know, we've already talked about this, but, you know, I bring up again here that Noah and Helge only captured boys and that thought of why that is. Um, Charlotte shares that somehow she thinks this all has to do with her. She asks if Jonas knows who her parents are and looks really scared and fragile when, as she asks this. Right. Jonas says no, but that he knew her grandfather. And then Charlotte reveals that Tanhouse is not her real grandfather. He just took her in at a young age. It's an interesting fact. That's a new fact mm-hmm. that we're learning. So I'm wondering too, Charlotte. <laughs> I wonder why she thinks it's about her. I wonder what led her to believe that. Um yeah. I mean, I guess it's just vibes she's getting from like looking looking at all these pictures and when she's inside her um step grandfather's shop, I guess. I don't know. Her grandfather, he adopted her. Mm-hmm. Um I guess it's just kind of a vibe she's picking up along the way. But I didn't I haven't really um contemplated Charlotte as like a central figure until now. And now I'm starting to think, hmm. How central of a figure is she? Is she right? Is this all about her? Um, can you think of any examples that might lead her to believe that she is the center of it all? Well, I think for Charlotte, the main thing that's going on is still that there's kids missing. Um, and she knows that Noah had that watch. I forgot about the watch. Okay. And yeah, her dad make her granddad worked in a watch shop. <laughs> okay, yeah. So right like, there there's a couple of things I didn't even contemplate. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure about the watch shop and how but like she kind of feels I think for her her mind is on is is narrowing down the fact that she feels like Noah is responsible for killing these kids and that it has something to do with her because there's this watch. Okay. And also she doesn't know who her parents are and her grandfather instilled in her all this stuff about the 33 year cycle. And, um, right. But I think it's also from like, not a like cause and effect type of status. I feel like there's this tendency in storytelling each character kind of feels like they're the main character in their story, right? <laughs> okay. Um, like sure. Marta, if, for instance, thinks like, no one ah. has it worse than me. Um, <laughs> Jonas is like, tells his grandmother, tells Inez that everybody's okay but me, you know? So right. like, okay. I'm at the center of this thing. It's, it's all about me and my problems. And um, even though Charlotte is, our our like inspector the one that's the most rational and the one that's the most like even-headed for her it's like this my i've never understood my life and now maybe this is maybe this is what's going on you know so she kind of hopes for clarity about her life she's never understood where she came from or you know what, what is why is she here okay good okay good call um, she also asks if Tanhouse ever traveled. I thought this was interesting too. Jonas Me says too. that Tanhouse is just a pawn like the rest of them. 
that Claudia used him just like she used Peter and the stranger. It's Claudia that influenced Tanhouse to build the time machine. So here, Stranger Jonas almost makes it sound like Claudia is the real kingpin, <laughs> to your point before, you know, like right. okay. Claudia is using everybody and that she's almost the one that's at fault for all of the suffering. So I thought that was for yeah. him. He's like pointing the finger at, at he doesn't mention Adam at all. You know, he mentions Claudia. That's a change from what he said last time. Last time he said something like she was she was on the right path, but she got lost along the way. But now mm-hmm. he's not saying that he's been a little more. Um, putting her more more in a higher uh, guilt level, I guess. Which, yeah, you're right. She brought the plans in. She's the one who um, figured out how to make the time machine itself transcend time by burying it and giving herself a map for it, which is pretty ingenious. I mean, who would think of that? I would not have thought of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I probably <laughs> wouldn't even think that would work. So I wouldn't even try it. Um. Okay, yeah, I'm starting to gain some more respect for the evil that is Claudia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then to the wind and caves again. The teens arrive and find Bartosh still tied up. He's in pretty bad shape. He hasn't had water or a bathroom break for at least 12 hours. I bet he's peed his pants. (laughs) Poor Bartosh. Sorry, that was a very five-year-old thing for me to say. but It was, Steve. <laughs> you should not have glee at another suffering. I don't. I don't. You'll find out later. Okay. <laughs> they continue to berate him about the machine and the suitcase and what it does. Bartosh doesn't want to say, but they kind of force his hand and get him to crack when they threaten to leave him there again. He blurts out that it's a time machine. Of course, they think he's pulling their leg, but Marta does stop everybody from leaving and demands Bartosh show them how it works. Hopefully they let him pee first or get have a drink. We don't <laughs> see that. Like nope. Um, Bartosh does using Marta's phone as the signal. They they say like Hey, there's no there's no Wi-Fi in here. You know, we can't do that. And he's like, <laughs> he says it just has to search for the signal. Doesn't need to actually That's find right. a signal. The machine goes off and the group vanishes into the time portal. He knows how to work that thing. He's pushing buttons and like it seems like he knows where he's going to be taking them. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder where he came from. And like if he just came from 1987 himself. Yeah. Um, neat stuff. And Francisca really like, <laughs> she's becoming more and more. Are you familiar with the Powerpuff Girls at all? Um, I mean, I, I'm familiar with the name of them, but I don't remember. Anything okay. About. Well, one of them is a tough guy. Um, um, it's Buttercup and she's like, you know, super tough. And she's the one who always says the mean stuff and she's the one who's always beating up the bad guys. And that's what Francisca is reminding me of here is like the, the tough guy of the group that like the psycho that will, you know, I mean, I know it was Magnus that beat him up before, mm-hmm. but that was just pure anger. Like if they wanted to sick a psycho on him or like to do some torturing, <laughs> I think it would be Francisca who they would sick on him. I think she's like the human body can't sustain without three days of water. It's like, okay, Jesus. She's good at mental torture. (laughs) Yes, she certainly is. 
It's why she that's just, why she did she the ribbon stuff. She presents the idea that like we could leave you here, but yeah. Um. But yeah, I like the way that they all get zipped. All five of them standing around the machine all get zipped up in there. It's just a neat visual. I love the way they do it. Mm-hmm. And did you see Marta's phone says Ariadne? Of course, yes, I did. <laughs> well, the, yeah, they um they spelled it for us on the screen. They they put it like in um English for us. Otherwise, I might not have noticed. To be <laughs> honest, it was just the in, subtitle that showed it to in me in large font that we can read. <laughs> <laughs> she loves that play, man. Yeah. Nineteen eighty-seven. Claudia and Bern Doppler are having a one-on-one meeting at his house. So after, I guess after Claudia went to see her dad, she went to see Burned. Okay. This is not at the office. This is intended to be a private meeting. And she brings up the accident that happened last summer at the power plant. According to Burned, he claimed the issue was a reaction in the volume control system. But she checked the data and everything is normal. So what really happened? I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, Claudia's wearing her red shirt, of course, but Burned looks, you know, he has his arm in a sling. Right. And explicitly, too. Like, we don't know why. Right. Um, And it kind of, I don't know, for me, it's a visual representation of his body breaking down. Like, we already know he's lost his legs. He's on this. He was in the cane. Now he's in a wheelchair. Now one of his arms is in a sling. So... I guess they had to show us that because they didn't show us his wheelchair this time. So they had to give us, like you said, a visual clue reminder of who this guy is and that he has a broken body. Or just like the, um, what did the, what did they say? The, um, the disease of Wyndon <laughs> setting in burned is like, <laughs> you know, he worked at the power plant for years. So yeah. his body is disease, okay. just like Jonas's body and Adam's body. Right. Okay. Everybody's bodies are in various forms of decay, you know, with like Waller missing his eye. So it just all the scars. So it's like, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. I see that too. He pushes this black folder across the table to her, just slides across. (laughs) He knew that she wouldn't let that issue alone. So he had samples taken and analyzed. Claudia opens the folder and looks incredulous. The numbers can't be possible. Burned agrees, says, well, I ran the test a second time, got the exact same numbers. And they they have this conversation that mere mortal, most mere mortals really don't understand. <laughs> but these numbers match those of Inglard, Brout, and Higgs in 1964. But not exactly. Claudia seems really excited and references the God particle. And the numbers mean that a God particle exists in the power plant. Of course, we know that we've seen 2053, but this scene lets us know that as early as 1987, Burned and Claudia knew about the Higgs field or this black blob that lives in the plant. And Claudia wants them to go public and, uh, but Byrne says, you know, you can do whatever you want with this information, but leave me and the power plant out of it. 
at least until I'm gone. Right. Which is kind of puts her in a weird position. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like she has this knowledge now, but she can't do anything with it. Yeah. And it, it kind of, yeah, I'm curious what her immediate thought was here. Like, she's like, this is a sensation, <laughs> is what the tra- the translation says. Well, they're like, obviously smarties. So they know that, like, in 64, when they, like, invented or, like, came upon the theory of the God particle, you know, they, they said, he mentioned something about it's what makes up all mass of all, you know, contains the mass of every object but really what it is is it supposedly is is what created the big bang so they're thinking they can recreate another universe or expand upon our universe with this or they can study how the big bang began or study how it expands or study all kinds of things about it so it would be a revolutionary thing to find that would you know, probably change people's religions if it like went into the public eye. Um, and and he's saying, you know, she respects a decision that it's going to, that Bert's going to be left out of it, which means that she can't actually like expose it to anyone because it's inside the plant. It's part of the plant. Right. <clears throat> probably the smartest thing for Claudia to do would be to, uh, to write up a paper saying like, I propose these things. I think these theories are true. <laughs> and then like after Bert passes away, she can be like, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I kind of wonder about Burns, you know, thought, you know, in previous conversations, he's mentioned like, the livelihood of the power plant, you know, the livelihood of the town rests on you and us keeping this information secret. But here him saying like, just keep it secret until I die. seems, Mm. you know, this, this conversation just made me curious about what his motives were. Yeah. And how much he knows about, um, sick Mundus maybe. It doesn't seem like he has any like connection to them whatsoever mm-hmm. other than the fact yeah. that he's Helge's dad, I guess, but yeah, I- I'm, I'm ready to throw him in the mix and, <laughs> and see where he pops up. Um, but yeah, this converse, their conversation is interesting here too, because he's got, you know, they're the two of them have a good working relationship. He obviously admires her in a way that, that she's not, taking no for an answer, you know, she's insisting on, um, you know, he's speaking to her as he would an equal. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, she is, <laughs> I mean, yeah. her, his predecessor. So then Ulrich rushes to the Conwald house. <laughs> Always rushing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. That's our Ulrich theme. He's always in a hurry to do something. Everything happened so suddenly, so he didn't really have a plan about what he was going to do. He just comes to a halt, and he sees Mikkel playing with this Rubik's Cube at the picnic table. Oh, my heart. Okay, this was this was rough here. Mikkel is only one year older when he disappeared, but for Ulrich, it's been 33 years since he's seen his son. Right. Um, overcome with emotion, he's just left speechless. 
Mikkel sweetly and, you know, such a sweet and sensitive child, he asks Ulrich, are you okay? He doesn't know it's his father. He just knows that someone looks lost and Mikkel knows that feeling well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. Hey, this this was great. He, I didn't like his outfit. I don't like the way that he's being dressed these days by um by Inez, but uh, he's wonderful in this scene. I'm I'm loving young Mikkel a lot. And that's what I had to say too. That's all I had to mm-hmm. say is he's he's a, a total sweet kid. That's all I wrote down. He's a sweetheart. That's it. <laughs> yeah, oh, and I wrote down that Ulrich is always running. I wrote that down too. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine how how Ulrich must have felt here? I mean, no, I I mean. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't like collapse in a heap right there of just sheer like joy and overcome with every, I mean, he was overcome. I I could not imagine I would be pinching myself. I would think I'd be thinking I was hallucinating. It's, I don't know. It's, it's great stuff. He knew right where, he knew right where to find him. He ran right there. Yeah. He's not at school, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I, yeah, I think, it's like this is he's probably dreamed of this moment so many times that, you know, he would see his son again one day and here and here he is right in front of him. Um, so we're now at the hospital. Inez walks down the hall and stops purposefully next to a cart. She grabs some pharmaceuticals and hides them in her smock. <laughs> a colleague Ooh. catches her in the act and Inez quickly covers up what she's doing with an easy excuse. We're out of iodine. <laughs> uh, her coworker shares this rumor that a local madman has broken out of the psychiatric hospital. He, when he was supposedly the person that murdered the kids. Inez looks really scared and rushes off. So now is when I ask you, does Inez have prior knowledge that, w- that we're supposed to be aware of? Or is she just in general, concerned about Mikkel being home alone. Yeah, I think she's just an overly a concerned helicopter parent. <laughs> okay. Um, I was what do you mean if, by like, knowledge? Like, you know, the, the other nurse gave her the information that the madman who killed the kids, you know, has escaped. And mm-hmm. so I wasn't sure if Inez had put that together and maybe she knew who Ulrich was or you know, mm. had some kind of connection to those murders. I mean, I know that she was aware of those murders because she was told about them and we saw her reaction to it, but mm-hmm. I, I just didn't know if there was something I was missing or if it was just an, a well, protective that, mom. That, oh gosh. If that's, if that's the case, then I'm mad, really mad at Inez. Um, <laughs> but you know, because it could be, of course, we they don't they didn't ne- they didn't ever know who that guy's name was. Like he never gave his name, so it's not like sure. it's been in the papers that this is Ulrich Nielsen. So okay, um, okay. But yeah, so I think she, so. It's not like Inez knows that Ulrich is in the psychiatric hospital. I think she's just like, oh dear, a crazy man escaped and Mickles at home. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. It just seemed like she ran off real quick. So. Yeah, she's got to. You got to run fast to beat Ulrich. I mean, he's always, he's always running. <laughs> she's gonna outrun the master. Yep. <laughs> A 
Cutting back to the Conwald house. Ulrich looks just a little better. Mikkel comes out of the house with two glasses of orange juice. He hands one to Ulrich and they both drink. Ulrich looks really nervous and he's about to speak. Mikkel says that he looks familiar. Ulrich mentions that he's waited 33 years for this moment. He turns his glass upside down and says, the question is not how, but when. Do you remember saying that? And Mikkel nods, yes. They hug. It's very emotional. And Mikkel calls him Papa. 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 We said Papa so many times. We love this so much. We were crying and saying, Papa. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this scene, I don't know what else to say about it other than it's wonderful. And, um... Is this, one of the a, moment, this is one of the moments you cried then? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how can, I, don't, I don't understand how you could not, but I guess I can because people are people. They feel different emotions. But <laughs> this one got me, and I do like that the um, the words that Mickle said in the first episode is like not how but when. Mm-hmm. It, it has like the, the, the double meaning here, mm-hmm. which is like it doesn't matter how we got back together, but when. Here we are now, son. It's wonderful, and I, you can see in Mikkel's face, like the little kid is a great actor, and you can see like his face change to like when he has the realization and that little sweet smile at the end. I mean, dark, you've yeah. done it again. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a pretty powerful moment. I mentioned last week that I think one of the most powerful scenes is when Katarina finds the picture of Mikkel. This is another one of them, this moment between Ulrich and Mikkel. Yeah. Um, 1921, back to Jonas and Adam. Jonas says in the future there's a prophecy about a new world and that sick Munus will lead them to paradise. Okay, so now the prophecy is clearly stated so we can can all... uh, it's all on the paper now, you know, what yep. the prophecy is. Um, he asks Adam if Sikmundus is a religion. Adam says, no, Sikmundus is the opposite of that. They are waging war on time. They want a world without time and without God. People actually worship time and that until you master time, you're at the whim of that God. God is time. That's a real interesting perspective, I got to say. I mean, there are some similarities there. The most glaring similarity is that time doesn't really like interfere um, directly in your day-to-day life. It's just always there uh, with you. So I guess that's the best comparison I can think of. Um, I just think it's a neat concept. You've probably heard this concept before because you're more well-versed in in books and movies. Is this something that other people have um, supposited? about God being time or is this unique to dark? Yeah. I'm not sure if I've, I've heard this concept before. Um, you know, there's obviously there's thing that there's stuff like time marches on, um, time is money <laughs> that people understand that time is a value. Um, but I thought I thought it was interesting that Adam says, is this a religion? Sorry, Jonas says, is this a religion? And um, 
and no adam says no it's the opposite of that because we're trying we're trying to kill time basically like we don't we're not honoring it we're trying to break it down right yeah they're trying to master it i mm-hmm. guess i wouldn't say they're trying to kill it are they i think they're just trying to like master it and not let it affect them the way it's supposed to or are they trying to right. kill time is it is, well yeah i guess he could be apocalypse driven you never know because the apocalypse definitely happens we saw it happen mm-hmm. well they since they're waging about- a war i guess it's like so it's not killing it but they're waging a war on time okay all right all right adam mm-hmm. good luck <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that <laughs> Um, 2020, Charlotte walks inside Tanhouse's store. She begins to sort through the papers again when in walks adult Noah. Okay, Mickle is, the Mickle scene is the heart of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like, but this is a really important scene too because we get this interaction between Charlotte and Noah. This is the gut of the show. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good call. <laughs> Charlotte stands up and looks nervous. Remember, she thinks he's a, he just knows he's a child murderer right, and someone right. to be feared. Noah calls her by name and tells her his name is Noah. And he takes his hat off for her. You know, he's like a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she says, I know who you are. You killed the children. Mm hmm. And Noah has never looked so undone in his life. He's like tripping all over himself all of a sudden, trying to explain his actions, that he did it all for her so that she would not be taken away from him again or her mother. So now we know Noah is Charlotte's father. We kind of know. He gives some really flimsy evidence. I mean, I believe him based on Charlotte's reaction. But the evidence is very flimsy. But I'll let you continue. <laughs> well, he gives her a picture, a Polaroid of her, um, of as her a baby. as a baby, and he opens his his Sigmundus notebook and takes out a picture of her. He holds out the picture and shares memories of her birth. He mentions how she was premature and that, but she was very strong and wouldn't give up. <laughs> And she begins to cry and begs him to stop. This is not the news that she wanted. My father is a child murderer. Right. Um, <laughs> he says, you know, I recognize I can't change your opinion of me, but he also shares his sorrow that she's been there in Wyndon the whole time and he never knew. However, that bastard Adam knew. He didn't say mm. bastard, but that's his that's his tone. <laughs> yeah, it is. Adam didn't tell him that his daughter was who his daughter was. And that's what now we know what some of the facts were that he hid from Noah. The missing pages um, were revealed that your daughter is here. Okay. No, oh, I didn't pick that up. I need to re- revel in that. So that was one of the pages was. Well, remember when, <clears throat> remember yeah. when he kills Claudia yeah. And he gets the pages and he looks at them and the first thing he says is, this isn't possible, Charlotte. Right. Okay. Yeah. We were like, why does he say Charlotte? <laughs> mm-hmm. Here's why. Okay. Yes. Please continue. This is a revelation to me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Charlotte doesn't know what to make of this. 
up all this, of course, Noah concludes by saying the apocalypse will happen in two days that he knows what he must do. He will end Adam so that everyone lives and not just those in the bunker. And then Charlotte asks who her mother is. He just says she loved you very much and still loves you. So Noah chooses to keep this information hidden from Charlotte, who is devastated by this news. Right. And um, yeah, the other only other note I have about this is that Noah's mentioned saving more than the people in the bunker. And that reminds me of the story of Noah's Ark. He's called the bunker and the chair an ark before. Proof positive. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. <laughs> so he absolutely is Noah in his ark. Um, and yeah, I guess he's saying the people in the bunker which I guess we've seen the people that have been in the bunker. So I guess he's talking about all of them, like the live people I'm talking about, like Peter, Charlotte, Jonas, Katerina, Hannah. I don't know, but he just says the people in the bunker. That's who I think of when I think about the bunker people. I wonder the if the, I wonder if the people that are in the bunker are like, he knows who's going to be in the bunker. Okay. All right. Like he has foreknowledge of that. Right. Because the people, because thinking... remember the, what's in the sick monus, whoever wrote the sick monus notebook has kn knew the future and the past. Okay. No answer about who her mother is, who Charlotte's mother is. He doesn't say it here. Mm -hmm. I like, I don't like, I, I just said I like, <laughs> but I really don't like how he says that like, um, I knew how strong you were like when you pulled my finger when you were an infant. That's pretty pathetic. And that's like the memory that he has. <laughs> he doesn't have any other memories beyond that. I mean, it's pathetic and sad. Mm -hmm. But we don't know who the mom is. But he, we do know this is a conversation I just had with Heather. Mm -hmm. Because she said um, he's making it sound like we that his mom that her mom's still alive. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I think that's intentional. Um, Heather then said, you know, do you know, you know, who Charlotte's mom is? I was like, unfortunately, yes, I do. And I know, you know, as well, Lindsay, mm -hmm. but I'll tell the listener, I'll tell the listeners what I told Heather. Cause Heather was like, just tell me, just tell me. And I was like, no, it's, <laughs> it's a good surprise. I'm not going to tell you, but I did tell Heather who like the, the best, um, possibilities would be cause Charlotte is the same age as Hannah, Katerina, and Ulrich and all them. Mm -hmm. So she must have been born around the same time. She's the same age. So that must mean that you would think logically her mom could be somebody in that time frame. And so in that time frame, 53, the women at that time were Doris, Greta, Helge's mom. Is her name Agnes? Um, Helge's mom is Greta. Okay, I'm, I'm getting my, my women mixed up then. But I know we got Doris, <laughs> Greta, Agnes, and Yana. Those are our possibilities that are the right age to be her mother. Inez. Inez, too. Okay, right. But then we have a wild card in the mix named Claudia, who's out there running mm -hmm. around time traveling. Yeah. So, you know, you can't leave her out of the possibilities as well. Yeah. Um, Heather wasn't satisfied with that. She was like, just tell me. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, you'll have to find out when the time comes. Well, obviously, 
they want the show on the, from the show perspective, they wanted to keep the identity of the mother secret for now. Like they chose not mm-hmm. to reveal that. But from a story storytelling perspective, I'm like, okay, what reason would Noah have for not telling her? Like, what what reason could make sense? You know. Hmm. Yeah, maybe they became estranged or. If she's still alive, then, you know, it's not that she died <laughs> because she's still alive. Like maybe, but, I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> so, this, is, this is a hard thing to do to pretend yeah. like we're speculating, like we don't know, because we both know. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess we should probably move on. <laughs> so what did Heather come up with any, did she come up with her best proposal? No. no? She, was just, okay. she was just mad at me for not telling her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, 1987. The team, teen team comes out of the <laughs> Winding Caves. Only things look different. Most notably, the armchair is gone. Um, we also do have more trees. Trees are being different. Right, right. Different stages of being chopped. Um, the group <laughs> is turns to interrogate Bartosh. Magnus seems the most surly about this whole thing. He's not really buying that time travel is real. He's just like, ah, I'm just going to go home. <laughs> um, I guess he thought Bartosh just moved the chair. Uh, I don't I don't know. Um, <laughs> good, I don't know what he thought. <laughs> Bartosh shares that he had doubts too, only he kept predicting things would happen. Like Jonas and Marta kissing and his mother getting cancer. Magnus wants to know who he is, and Bartosh says Noah. Noah. Francisca jumps in because she recognizes the name Noah and says that Elizabeth knows who Noah knows Noah. <laughs> and uh, you know, Bo, Bartosh then says Noah said there's a war on time, and that Jonas will mm-hmm. be coming back. This is like I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm like this is like such an obvious religious metaphor, you know. <laughs> Jesus is coming back you know Jonas is coming back Um, and then Marta's all like really really yes (laughs) Yes, oh my gosh Marta's just like Jonas yep (laughs) that's why I'm here yeah yeah (laughs) Um, the only thing she seemed to hear out of the whole speech was that Jonas is coming back (laughs) Magnus walks off with Francisca and Elizabeth in tow Marta again looks at Bartosh and he begs her to believe him and Marta just walks off. I mean, all they got to do is walk around in town and then they'll know whether Bartosh is right or not. Yep. And we'll come back to that later, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I wrote that down too. Jonas is coming back like Jesus. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> so it is an obvious metaphor. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote that um, it's surprising that Bartosh is being so nice and civil to them at this moment. He's not being overly emotional or like angry or holding a grudge or anything at this point. Um, So I think that's kind of remarkable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Bartosh, it's like, these are his only friends and they just tied Mm -hmm. him up. So he's, yeah, but you're right. He could just be like, he's got to try to work with them because they now have his time machine. You know what I mean? So he's got to like, he can't be, he can't be a jerk to them. (laughs) <laughs> and plus he probably you know he really still cares a lot about marta so he's trying to he does. 
he's kind of trying to tell them like, hey, I'm not the bad guy, guys. Can't we all get along? <laughs> yeah. It's really yeah. kind of sad. I would I'd be it like, you, he should be just mad, you know, like a bunch of jerks. Yeah. That would get him nowhere, though. You're right. They would just tie him back up in the cave or, you know, mm. they got his time machine, like you said. I didn't think about that. Because it is like um, either Marta or Magnus is carrying it around right now, right? Yeah. Okay. So then Inez comes home and yells up the stairs for Michael, but no one's home. She sees the door jar and finds the two glasses on the table. In a panic, she calls Egon, reporting that Michael is missing and she's afraid that the man at the hospital got him. Egon hadn't heard that Ulrich had escaped yet. Um, and he's he says he's going to pick her up to hunt them down. He knows where they might be going. Finally, he can jump to action and do something. He feels so happy about this. And he gets to yeah. go pick up he gets to go pick up a lady and take her for a ride. That's kind of cool too. I mean, it's not good timing, but it's something. They're both single, so you know, it's all good. Oh my gosh. And he gets to harass Ulrich some more. Oh, that's right. <laughs> of course, yeah. So then Mikkel and Ulrich are running towards the caves. They both keep checking behind them to see how close the pursuers are. We see the police cars on the road. They, meaning Mikkel and Ulrich, reach the caves and are about to run inside when voices instruct them to halt. Ulrich starts to ignore, but the police then fires the gun in the air, threatening to shoot. Ulrich tries to protect Mikkel, but they catch both of them, returning Mikkel to Inez, and Ulrich gets tossed back in the police cruiser. And this this scene just killed me because I, you know, you want them to get away, but also Mikkel just says nothing. Yeah. He doesn't say dad. He doesn't say, but that's my dad, or you know, he just kind of he just accepts that he's going back to Inez. And we know he was drugged. Um, you know, he's drugged and um, right. But it just made me wonder what he was thinking in this moment. Hmm. I'm gonna stop yeah, there wonder, for now. <laughs> I wonder what his like what his belief system is there, like. <sighs> You know, he's grappling with the fact that he's traveled back in time and now he's grappling with the fact that this old guy is his dad and he believes it's his dad. And now the police are dragging him away saying it's not his dad. So I don't know. It might be the correct thing to do for like an 11 year old boy to just kind of be in shock and not know what to do here. Because um, when you see them running together, like Ulrich has him by the hand and it's like, mm hmm are they running hand in hand or is Ulrich leading him by the hand? I don't yeah. know. It was, yeah, it's very unclear what it's very unclear what Mickle's thinking here. Like, did he just run? Like he was happy to see his dad, but does that mean I'm ready to go with you and leave Inez behind? You know, is he, you know, what is, what are his feelings about this? Was, did he feel sort of forced into it? Well, like just run. And he just started running. Um, I mean, it could have been, <laughs> yeah, just he didn't have any time to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the second time that Ulrich's been headed off at the pass at this exact same spot by the exact same guy. Mm -hmm. So of course he's going to react, um, <laughs> accordingly. <laughs> 
But even if he made it back to the caves, where would they have gone? You know, like they would have gone in the caves, but it's like, would they have gone to the right time? Well, um, we know they wouldn't have because those the gates are closed at this point. And the only way you can time travel at this point is with the time machines, right? Um, I think in 1987, the portals open. Okay, I just I I guess maybe I maybe I yeah didn't in 1921 on Noah said it was going to be 32 years before the passage was completed. So the passage is completed right now, but we're right. not sure if did did Ulrich understand the key that like to the right means you're going 33 years in the future, and to the left means, um, I mean obviously they were never going to get here because Michael is Michael, <laughs> but it's like. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just frustrating, a frustrating scene. And I just, I'll never get over why <laughs> Mickle didn't say anything. <laughs> this is not Egon's fault, right? Like Ulrich like yells in Egon's face. This is all your fault. Um, it's, it's not Egon's fault necessarily, is it? Oh He's yeah, just... it is. Oh yeah, it is. Explain that to me then. Egon is the one that. Um, decided to put Ulrich in prison, and you know he put him in a psychiatric hospital. Oh, back way so back in nineteen. Stuck in this yeah, time. Yeah. He could have, if if Egon had not intervened, Ulrich would have gone back through the caves and gone back. Theoretically, could have gone back to twenty twenty. Um, but then I think about like the flip side of that, though. I'm thinking about it's more of like a a fault of the system than a fault of the individual because like Egon, if he had just let Ulrich go, he probably would have lost his job or, you know, gotten suspended or something. So he, you know, you have to, you know, didn't jail. Have to tell anybody. <laughs> I mean, Ulrich I, tried to tell him, you know, he tried to explain things to him when they were, he was interrogating him and yes, Ulrich was pretty, wasn't, the smartest he was like saying mean things to Egon about like your wife will leave you and you're a drunk <laughs> that's not the kind of good revelation you need you know you could have said something a little more endearing <laughs> but um, I guess I, I need to go back and rewatch some of those Egon scenes then to wrap my head around it because that, that that is what I was thinking I'm glad I'm glad you reminded me of some of that because yeah I was thinking that Ulrich's anger was like misguided that he was directing it all to this one person I mean, I wouldn't say everything's all Egon's fault, but I mean, it's it's his fault that Ulrich is trapped in this time. Okay. All right. I do feel that deeply. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. I'm with you then. <laughs> and he's never, he's always been against him. It's like his eternal, you know, his eternal nemesis through through time and space. So... We are now in 1921. Adam is still talking. <laughs> still talking. <laughs> he mentions that Mikkel or Michael is just one part of a greater knot. Jonas remarks that Adam must have had this conversation before, but that now he's in the opposite position. Adam remembers that day and that he couldn't imagine wanting what he now wants. Some pain you don't forget. 
Jonas is still mad. If there's really a way to change things, why hasn't it happened yet? And Adam tells him things have to happen in the right order. That's not what he says exactly, but that's the basic idea. He's like, we had to do this machine and then this machine and then these steps and, uh, you know. Right. I thought that was very important, actually. I like that um, perspective. Like he talks about like, you know, you got the wheel, then you got the car. And then he talks about the order of the time machine things. And it's um, kind of like a confirmation that, that these things have to happen in order for the next thing to happen. So they have to do the, the wheel, the, not the wheelchair, the electric chair um, thingy to the boys in order to get to the next level. Like we said before, those little boys are Guinea pigs. And I don't know. I just kind of like the way that Adam walked them over to that wall and kind of like showed them all those blueprints and explained the different steps, which is why I said before that I thought that when Jonas closed the gate in 2019 that he closed the gate like the gate had served its purpose and now we're on to time machine travel because before Mm -hmm. we were doing chair travel then we were doing gate travel now we're doing time machine travel and now we're up to the god particle travel Mm um I don't know time isn't always linear though I don't know Let's just use that as our excuse, whatever. We don't we're just like time isn't linear. <laughs> time is a construct. <laughs> <laughs> um, now in nineteen eighty seven, Claudia at the Winden power plant, she thanks a man in a blue coat for his time. She hands him a small vial of the cesium and asks him to test it, but keep it quiet and confidential if it's what she thinks. It is. It will revolutionize things. Yep. She's on her steps. Like I was saying before, she's going to start writing her papers now, leaving the power plant out of it. This guy looked like Peter Tork from the monkeys, didn't he? He had a weird look to him. (laughs) I was really wanting to know what his name was. I was like, please give me a name for this guy. um, Just so we can... You know, it's, and that it's Peter, then, it's Peter Tork. That's exactly what his name is. Yeah, and this yeah, this makes me this actually makes me like homesick for the eighteen ninety nine recaps when you had a nickname for every every person, you know, like <laughs> Well that's I didn't know their names. Like in this show, like, you know, you you learn their names really well, but in that show it's some people are mysteries. You don't even know their names, so you gotta make up a name for them. <laughs> Okay, back to the wind and forest. The teens come out of the woods near the bus stop we see in the show. They walk to that bus stop, and there are advertisements on the wall. One is for modern, the Modern Talking Tour of 1986 for their <laughs> album, Middle of Nowhere. <laughs> the other is a political ad for Helmut Kohl, who was a prominent chancellor of Germany during the reunification phase. All these things that prove they are in a different time, unless Magnus just thinks these are props that Bartosh <laughs> has put on here. It's not clear whether the teens are really noticing these ads, though. Then these police cars drive by that look older than mm-hmm. the current models. Ulrich is in the back seat of one, and he begins oh. yelling that his kids are there. No one heeds what he says, of course, though. That's heartbreaking, of course. 
mm-hmm. poor Ulrich back there has to has to see what I wonder what he's thinking. Like, why are they here too? What the what the hell is going on with 1987 and all my kids coming yeah. back here? Uh, I think they did notice that. I think they noticed that those um those ads were old, and I think it, it looked like from their faces that like the cop cars being old models are kind of what sealed the deal for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's all the proof they could come up with at the time. Um, that band is awful. Have you <laughs> have you heard of any of the general talking? Um, is that what their name is? Modern talking. Modern talking. I actually like one of their songs. Which um, one? I, I listened to four or five of them just to check them out. <laughs> Not tonight. I think is the name of the song I like. Okay. I didn't I like any of them. I might be thinking the wrong. Um, I might be thinking of the wrong band, but <laughs> I feel like they were sort of they were sort of a thing there for a while. I've never heard of them, and I'm like, back at that time, like there were bands that were like singing in German, and I knew about those bands. But I, but this band is like one of the most popular band. I'm sorry, the most pop duo, like the most popular band to come out of Germany, the most successful band in the pop category to come out of Germany, even bigger than Nina. Like, I don't know, but they are like, when I looked them up, I was shocked that I first off have never heard of them. Second off that all their songs are in English and we still have never heard of them. And then third off how corny the music was. So you're saying you just listened to the, um, you listened to the songs just recently. Yeah. Um, like about an hour ago. Uh, well, more than that now, since we've been talking for a couple hours, but um, I went on Spotify and, you know, Spotify will show you like the top five songs of any given band. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that'll be the first five songs you come upon. So those are the ones I checked out. And those were, as I did more research, their biggest hits and <laughs> billions of copies sold. These guys just ruled Germany somehow with their, with their cheesy music. <laughs> I kind of wish that we had more I like 1980s trivia. I mean, we have a few things like, you know, people's listening to certain songs when they go to the school. But there's this like the Toast Hawaii thing and the um there's this yeah. these, these bus stops so, the signs of the bus stop. I'm just like this stuff is fun and I almost kind of it wish is- I wish there was more stuff like this where we're like, "Oh, who was that? And who who are these people listening to? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> they gave us a Reagan speech too. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. I think they're doing, doing a good job with that. They're not shoving it down our throats either. Like some yeah. shows will like be a little blatant about it. And I think dark is just like with their music, nice and subtle. <laughs> and this might be a good time to mention that Bartosh is wearing a black hoodie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> is that Magnus's <laughs> black hoodie? I mean, if it was, Magnus would be like, hey, that's mine, I'm sure. So it's, it's yeah. not. Yeah, plus, <laughs> but, I don't know, Magnus looks like he's a larger size than yeah. than Bartosh, but yeah. That's true too. <laughs> but it was very sus seeing Bartosh in that black hoodie, and then Magnus didn't make any mention of it, so I was like, mm, I guess it's not it. I guess mm-hmm. we're still looking for it. Yeah, in general, the, the group is where, is the group here is... Um, very neutral colored in their clothing choices, except for little Elizabeth, who's got a blue skirt, mm-hmm. a red jacket, and her shirt, her t-shirt has like a tree, like tree branches, mm-hmm. almost like the tree of life, like on the uh, box that Inez has. Okay. 
thought that was a little a little interesting. Perhaps. I noticed that uh, if you talk about the clothes, a couple of things I noticed was Elizabeth's socks were mismatched. Like she had the same color socks on, but one of them was like a knee high sock and the other one was an ankle sock, but they were like, maybe okay. one was pushed up and one was pushed down, but it was kind of a cool look. Mm-hmm. And I thought that um, Marta really resembled um, Lindsay Weir from Freaks and Geeks played by Linda Cardellini. Um, that that's exactly what that character wore all the time was like a green jacket, her long brown hair like that, same pants. It's almost like she was wearing a freaks and geeks costume. (laughs) Okay. Let's move forward. (laughs) (laughs) We're almost there. You're right. 2020 Hannah looks at the photo Clausen showed her earlier of Katerina Ulrich and her she folds over one side to hide (laughs) Katerina's face leaving just her and Ulrich together in walks stranger Jonas okay so here's here's the scene we were referring to before with them Mm -hmm. Hannah looks really happy she thought Jonas had left she seems to be trying to bond with him but he's standoffish and he looks at the pictures of their family he knows about Ulrich now and wonders if she even loved his dad. Hannah says she knows she ruined everything. Jonas feels no pity. His words are, maybe you always have. You need no one. He goes upstairs, leaving her alone. She does need somebody. I mean, everybody needs somebody. He just wants to leave her alone. Mm -hmm. And I think a bit of his anger came from when he asked her if she would choose between Ulrich and Michael and she can't answer. So it kind of makes it obvious that she would choose Ulrich there. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, what really bothered him and made him say like his harshest words, but it really did seem like he got cold. Um, kind yeah. of sudden, kind of suddenly. Yeah. I was speculating on what exactly happened to make that happen. And the last time we saw them, of course, was in the ca- in the um, the bunker mm-hmm. when he's talking with um, when he's talking with Charlotte and Peter. And I feel like maybe it was Kat- seeing Katarina's for some reason seeing Katarina's anger, mm-hmm. perhaps realizing that. Because I guess I always had this sense that maybe Jonas knew she was something that wasn't right, that mom was having an affair. It's like usually kids suspect or they kind of know, but maybe like having having Katarina actually say it out loud just hit differently for him. Right. So it yeah, was, maybe it, maybe he just yeah. found that out. Maybe he, that's he didn't know that until that moment. I don't know how that could be, but. It's quite possible that maybe he never, maybe he never knew before and mm-hmm. just learned it. Yeah. That, that would, I mean, that would absolutely answer why he's being cold to her now. Cause he just found this out. <laughs> Any kid's going to be pe- mad at their parent if they found that out. So yeah. Okay. I think we answered it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so then we have our interlude. <clears throat> the song choices made the angels by Ella Lenz. During the musical break, the teens come out of the cave. Marta looks at Bartosh again for a moment, but turns to walk away. Bartosh is always being left. Yeah. 
Inez carries Mikkel home in her arms. Egon looks down, just kind of like he's confused by what just happened. <laughs> Ulrich is bound tightly to a hospital bed. Charlotte looks at the photo Noah gave her of the two of them. <clears throat> Enos is making hot cocoa and adding drugs to the mix. Mm-hmm. Marta comes home and finds the St. Christopher pendant on her pillow. And finally, Adam leads Jonas into a room that holds an elaborate machine. Nice. Yes. Now, I guess the first thing I want to bring up from here is the fact that Inez was carrying Mikkel home. That was very weird. He's like the size of her. And I think what you said before about um, how she's been drugging him, I think that that could have a lot to do with why she's carrying him here. And it could have a lot to do with why he didn't say anything about why it was his dad. He's sleeping mm -hmm. a lot, obviously, and I guess it's going to slow you down. So maybe he's just he's just in a constant drug state. Maybe that's why he wasn't alarmed to see a, a man in white with long, wild hair come out of the woods, and he was just completely calm about it. Um, whatever the case is. Did he think it was is, a dream? Did he think he was having a good dream of his dad, maybe? I, you never know. I mean, she's drugging him, and you don't know how strong this stuff is. Um, mm. She's obviously in the wrong for doing so. And mm. also, obviously, this is part of um, Nickel and Michael's arc because it leads to, you know, it leads to the cycles that we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. But we still don't like Inez anymore for doing that. That's <laughs> in this, the way the song cuts out and the, the lyrics hit like right as she's dumping the drugs into that hot chocolate. Um, I don't know. Wanted to slap it out of her hands. <laughs> um, <clears throat> any other comments about this montage? Um, Bartosh always being left, just like you said. Um, seems like he's got nobody on his side whatsoever. So it's pretty yeah. clear, you know, why he, um, you know, was so eager to hang out with Noah and to like be like Noah's little yes. pawn because he's got nobody else to, to hang with and talk to. I mean, his parents miss him, but apparently Noah's like kind of leading him away from them too, I guess. Mm hmm. Yeah. And that elaborate machine that he mm -hmm. leads Jonas into. Um, I think it's kind of neat how like the God particle really draws your eye because um, it's neat and because it's moving, you know, anything in motion is going to kind of draw your eye, but that machinery that they're built that, that is making it possible is is equally as fascinating as the god particle and i barely even noticed any of that like star wars looking transformers and machinery <laughs> and stuff because the god particle is so eye-catching so i think like you, just the machinery around it is is super cool and it just like you know obviously adam has spent years um in within this cycle like building this stuff and so it's just fascinating like how it was built and constructed like the time machine itself is fascinating mm -hmm. but this thing is like <laughs> like on 10 other levels um yeah it's quite elaborate yeah this, I this see, will I'll... make you feel like you're look you're going into like a um 
you know, like a planetarium or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's yeah. gaze at the wonder of the stars. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so once the music ends, Adam tells Jonas that this isn't the same god particle that is in 2053, but that it's the twin of that contraption. The one they're looking at is part of the infinite. Jonas asks how it came to be. Adam says that the one in the future is caused by the disaster you want to prevent. That they produce this god particle themselves. That they can use this one to go anywhere. And finally, we get to the rub. This can break the 33-year cycle. Um, Adam confesses there might be a loophole. Go back through the portal to June 20th, 2019, the day Michael Conwell kills himself and stop the cycle from happening. He tells Jonas that if he should do this, he will martyr himself. Jonas decides to listen to him for once. Now, <laughs> when the stranger told him, the stranger told him, like, if you stop this from happening, you will no longer you will cease to be. And Jonas was not willing to do that. And here Jonas is now ready to listen. Like he's ready to sacrifice himself for everybody. Especially Marta. When he brings up Marta, he kind of mm -hmm. like that seals the deal. And he puts on this, you know, protective suit and walks into the God particle. And I feel like, you know, this must be quite something for him thinking about everything he had to do in 2053 to do this same thing. Yeah, like the future Jonas had to have like a big part in this. Um, because like all the knowledge from the future is what, you know, helped to make this thing be possible and back in 1921. Yeah. So yeah, the... this is just another example of a nice little mind blower mm -hmm. <laughs> of like, where does it all begin? Yeah. Thinking about all the effort that went into building this thing and, and Jonas, you know, in 2053, he had to like steal gas and just to make it stand still for like five seconds so he could walk through. And here it was like so easy. It's like, we can now, we can now go anywhere. Just put on this suit and walk through. That's right, but Jonas in 2053, though, that's he just had to get it up and running again. Like, he needed the gas to get it stabilized, but everything was already built. Everything mm -hmm. was already there. So I think you got to give it to Adam for, like, actually building all this stuff from scratch, like, with mm -hmm. 1921 materials, I guess. I mean... Yeah. It's kind I mean, of it kind of makes you look at the things we have now like we have an oven mm -hmm. we have an oven so like but you know how much work went into making that oven right. like <laughs> like it's years of research so but you're I right feel, kind of a mind blower I feel so smart like using like my my equipment I use for work I didn't all I do is push buttons <laughs> somebody else designed that equipment and made sure it works and engineered it. All I'm doing is pushing the buttons on it. And I think I'm a genius. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. So this, this is how it ends. Jonas walks through and we're of course wondering, you know, is this going to work? We don't know now. All we see is the, the close up of Adam's face. And that's when we fade to black. <laughs> I do think Jonas, um, 
when Adam handed him that gray, old-fashioned, like, crappy suit, <laughs> I think Eunice could have been like, you know, I got another suit out in the field. If um, <laughs> you'll give me a couple minutes, I'll go grab a, a legit radiation suit, if I may, please. A bright yellow I one. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't trust that gray suit at all. <laughs> I kind of yeah, see how he got there. all scully, uh, got all like um, radiation looking. Yeah, the gray suit. The gray suit is not as. I mean, but this is they. This is like, even though it's at nineteen twenty one, they have more stuff that you know. There, this is like the tech most technical technologically they've been. So theoretically, that gray suit could be even stronger than the yellow suit. I guess it's probably lead lined. <laughs> It's probably more dangerous. It's got lead. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. I think it's cool that um, Martha probably has, or Marta, I should say, probably has a little more hope now, knowing that um, with the words that Bartosh told her, that Jonas will be coming back. So, you know, she probably has a little bit of hope in her mind right now, hopefully. Jonas is coming back. Jonas? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's the end of the recap. I see another paragraph here. Um, were you going to go into that or are you skipping it? Well, this is just kind of a sum up of the episode that... Um, you know, we follow Cloudy and Ulrich as they try to stop the inevitable. Both of them have emotional arcs because their mo motivations are narrow-sighted. Ulrich just wants Mikkel back and thinks if he can return his son, all will be right. Claudia wants to stop the bad from happening to her dad and daughter. And Jonas, though, is like, I'm trying to stop calamity for everybody. Um, so I think I was just kind of comparing and contrasting these two types of stories we had. Um, and he seems willing to accept he may no longer exist if it results in a greater good. I mean, yeah. it's, it's almost like Claudia, you're right. It seems like she's focused on her family, but it's almost um, the things that she's after could benefit everybody in a whole as well though right how so she, well she wants to stop the apocalypse too right does she does she care about that right now i feel like she's just thinking about regina hmm well i mean obviously she is and well we this episode she's her. thinking about egon <laughs> she's thinking about egon she's thinking about regina and she's thinking about that that she can get some fame and fortune from this god particle <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's fame and fortune that she's after or do you think it's um like scientific innovation maybe yeah i don't know maybe like oppenheimer you know like this <laughs> part of the it's, greater it's, you know the science yeah it does, yeah i think she's more in it for science she's obviously a bright mind and she works at a power plant so she knows chemicals she passed chemistry so she, she knows passed. what this thing is capable of I don't know. I mean, you're right. On the surface, Jonas has everybody in mind. He's seen their graves and he wants to prevent that from happening. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to give Claude. I'm just trying to like, I'm trying to talk myself into liking Claudia more. 
I'm just, well, I mean, don't I, worry. I ins- we have, yeah, you have plenty of time to hang out with Claudia. You know, I'm just, but it is, Good. she grows, Good. she grows in the show, right? I mean, we all go through stuff like Yon- before Jonas was just like, I just care about whether I can make out with Marta again, you know, but now he's got to worry about his dad and, you know, now he knows uh, so much more about the apocalypse. And as each character finds out more, their scope about, you know, who's impacted in the world changes. And that that goes with that arc about like naivety to innocence to like, you know, we become as we become more aware, we our scope widens or should to like this isn't just about me, but, you know, other people are involved as well. That's what I was kind of trying to go with with Claudia. Like, yes, she is short-sighted, just wants to help Egon and Claudia and Regina. But I was just thinking maybe in doing so, she would inadvertently be helping more people than just them. First off, she'd be saving herself because <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm being corny now. I really don't know. Um, like I said, I just I just want to grasp at straws for reasons to like her because I am drawn to the middle-aged Claudia more so than any other Claudia. <laughs> and I know it's the older Claudia that is um, the one who's mostly scheming. So I think I'm in the right here mm-hmm. with like with like in the middle aged Claudia. I'll stick with that. She wears a lot of red too. Well, we should at least. I think maybe we should at least read the feedback. Okay, sure, absolutely. You want to do that first? Yeah, and then we can do our favorite characters. Okay, um, I only got a couple of instances of feedback and let me be silent while I find them or do you want me to go ahead and share mine and then while you're doing that yeah I think I saw that you had more than I did so go for it okay I just have the one um we had a a nice long YouTube comment (laughs) yes um in regards to Jonas and this was about the episode where Steve was saying Jonas was like emotionally (laughs) emotionally what absent or something that he had no affect and you were just like mm-hmm. please do something yes. have some emotional reaction um our viewer whose name says he's Jonas cool. says i think <laughs> i think Jonas is emotional and would say emotionally vulnerable he's that type of person that tries to hide their emotions and afraid to express them in public Whenever we see him feeling any emotion, we notice tension on his face like he's trying to hold it in. Like when we see him in the car with Egon, he starts laughing but immediately stops when he sees how Egon reacts to his laugh. So we can suppose that he's Mm -hmm. deeply emotional, but he's scared that his emotions will be valued as inadequate by other people. Or he's concerned that his emotions will take over him and he will not be able to return to the calm state of mind. And I thought that was an interesting right. comment um, and a response to what you said is that, you know, he's deeply emotional. It's just that he is, it sounds like they're saying he's kind of afraid to really express his emotions, that he doesn't feel safe to do those, to do that with anybody. Yeah, I like that comment a whole lot um, when I read that. And I, I connected with it too because everything's connected. First off, mm-hmm. um, second off, um, 
you know, I have like my podcast self where I'm here talking, but you know, there's a real me that doesn't always talk in clear sentences all the time. Mm -hmm. There's a real me that will, when confronted with a lot of different emotions at one time, I often will like shut down Mm -hmm. and won't know what to say. That was a lot more prevalent when I was younger. I was much quieter. As I'm older, I'm a little better at expressing myself, but there's still key moments where I will emotionally shut down. And it probably looks to somebody like I'm just (laughs) being Mr. Wooden, just like Jonas. Um, But in actuality, I'm trying to decide which emotion to go with, you know, how to react, what to say. And it's sometimes hard to make those choices when you're feeling emotional. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was thinking about when this person was responding. And yeah, I can appreciate that scene much more now. Um, I know I'm going to be rewatching these episodes again um, <laughs> at some point, season <laughs> one, that is. So um, I'm eager to see these with like some of these comments and some of the things we've talked about in mind um, instead of just my knee jerk reaction. Yeah, they also did say, though, that they want to thank us for our recaps and that they enjoyed to li- listening to every one of them. So we do thank you for your feedback. I also, too, now that I think about it, I resonate with this with this comment because I know there's been times in the past where I've had like close friends to me say that, well, you seem like you're frozen, that you're afraid to speak. And it's like, and yeah, it's a lot of times it's because I'm, I'm sort of, which is not, it's not really right or a good way to be, but I'm kind of like balancing, can I share my emotions with this person Mm -hmm. and sort of, it's a little bit, it can be seen as a little bit manipulative, like, okay, like I'm not going to share how I really feel like, or if I do, and I start to see that the person's not going to be receptive, then I can easily pivot away from that. (laughs) Um, So yeah. Exactly. Yep. I was, I noticed you got more feedback too on your, on your website, one of my stories.com where you're doing the recaps for us. I've saw you had some, um, you've been doing some updates lately. Like you've updated this episode in episode six and seven, and I guess eight's coming next of this season. And I've, I've been noticing that you're getting comments on that. I left a comment too, but I saw other people were leaving comments (laughs) too. So it's good to see that people are reacting to both of us. I like it. Yeah, so that's that's all the feedback I have. Steve, what did you have? Um, we have, of course, we had. Di- oh, my chair! <laughs> Hello. Okay. We had uh, Dylan E. write into us again about the last episode because he heard our discussion um, about Simon. Simon S. wrote in and um, said that they like our longer episodes and to to keep it up. Dylan says the same thing too. I'd say keep your episodes long as well. He loves our long episodes. He kept it short this time. So we got everybody telling us they like them. Thank you. Um, And then of course I said earlier, Tosh wrote in, she didn't write a long letter or anything, but she just said that she's patiently awaiting the episode five recap. This was last week. So, so Tosh, you're finally getting it now. And I shared this, the, my dreaded, my shameful secret that I, I I've already watched episode six in preparation for a podcast later. And, um, Tosh said, ah, I can't wait. <laughs> episode six is her favorite episode in season two, hands down. So we got a lot to look forward to next week. Mm-hmm. Thank you for writing in Tosh. 
It could be Tash. It's T A S H. And nobody ever gets mad at me about pronunciation. So I don't know. They probably <laughs> heard know. it all. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know if I'm right or wrong, Tash Tosh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess that's going to lead us into our favorites and our least favorites of this episode. Okay. I went first last week. So I'm going to allow you to go first this week if you're okay with that. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to give my best of – oh, this one's actually tough. I have two contenders. <laughs> <laughs> but I, since I, I don't think I've given this person a medal before, I'm going to give my best of to Bartosh because <gasps> I feel – I feel like – sad for Bartosh. You know, it's like you talk about the flip, Steve, of like how the how we might like one character or one episode, mm-hmm. you know. I haven't been the biggest, you know, supporter of Bartosh overall, but this is at this point, I'm just like, y'all have crossed the line. I don't <laughs> like I don't like how they're um how they're treating him and especially Marta, who seems downright vindictive now toward towards Bartosh. So um I'm giving my support throwing my support to team Bartosh. We are so simpatico this week because I <laughs> did the same thing too. I mean I'll prove it to you. I wrote it down here. I don't know if you can see that piece of paper or not, but it says Bartosh on it. So <laughs> um not not more so for I guess the main the main reason I gave it to him was that he didn't come out of that whole situation angry or resentful or yelling at anyone. He was um, just basically pleading his case. Um, we knew that he was in a tight spot, that the stuff that he wasn't supposed to tell them was pretty important stuff, but he was kind of backed into a corner to tell them. I just think he handled himself as best he could. And of course I feel sorry for the guy. Maybe it's a pity vote on both our cases. I don't know, but at any rate, I mean, we're giving it up for Bartosh again. I've chosen him as my favorite before in the past. I'm pretty sure I don't have my notes in front of me, but hmm. he's getting it again here. I told you before, he reminds me of my, my old Your best friend. friend, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, always gotta be loving Bartosh. So well, least I'm favorite. Curious. Oh, yeah, well, I'm curious before we get a least favorite. Like, if you had a second place, wh- who would be your other like person? I don't know the answer to that because Bartosh was such a screaming first place for me. Um, oh, okay, okay, that's fair. I mean, I mean, Charlotte had a really she had a moment in this episode, but she's never been like my favorite character and she's not my favorite standout character in this episode either. I hope she rises to the top in one episode. It hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Yeah. I think, um, you know, other people that I thought had great episodes were of course, Mickle and, um, oh. and Noah too. I mean, Noah and Charlotte together were like yeah. fiery. So that was, I guess that goes with the Charlotte thing. Yeah. But yeah, I guess we're moving on now to our least favorite character. Correct. Um, yeah, this is another, another tough one. I can go first if you want. 
Yeah, go ahead. Because I again, I had two I was going to choose from, but I think it's finally time we can we can give it to Clausen. All it took was for him to make that crappy comment to Hannah for me to like really flip on him and for me to like jump to Hannah's defense. So um, he's always been kind of crappy. He was crappy last episode. Yeah. But this episode, he was really swarmy. And I'm not exactly sure what his game is at this point, but he's not doing it right. He's a great character. Um, he's fun to hate. And I think that's why I have to give him my least favorite. Okay. Well, that gave me time to clear my head and I'm giving Miley's favorite to Marta because ah, okay. of her, because she had, I don't think she's gotten any awards for me. So, um, <laughs> I think, uh, like I said, I don't like how she's treating Bartosh. I don't know. I also don't like how she's treating her mother. <laughs> I thought it was pretty, um, hmm, okay. I mean, yeah, she's being neglected, but, uh, Katarina's being neglected too. I mean, she's trying to talk to her kids and they've been pretty nasty to her when she has. Um, so at this point, I feel like Marta just has, it's like, hey, you have a bad attitude. Go take a, what do they tell? <laughs> go, go sit in the corner for like five minutes and calm down, you know, because she's just, she's just, um, spiraling at this point all she's like all she cares about is Jonas and yeah good call yeah last week was Magnus this week it's her uh it's his sister Marta okay maybe Mickle will get it <laughs> next Aww, week <laughs> nobody can ever give Mickle the bad award <laughs> of course not I was thinking about giving the um the least favorite to Inez again, but we, I just gave it to her like the last episode or the episode before last. Yeah. So I thought it would be unfair to give her the same award for the same thing. Yeah. It's like double, double jeopardy. You know, I didn't want to do that to her. She's drugging kids. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. I need to get used to my chair. I just <laughs> got dropped down again. I'm waiting to see like Steve's feet go up and like falling down. It Please, no accidents. Well, this is a chair from the state of Virginia, from the Virginia government <laughs> building. So that's what's wrong with it, I guess. They can't make anything right over there. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> I kid. I'm very grateful for my new chair. <laughs> well, shall we bring this? Shall we bring this horse into the pen? I mean. <laughs> let's do it we're hitting on two and a half hours now so we might as well <laughs> we'll go into our plugs now um i don't really have anything much going on this week i'm going to be releasing music soon but it's not this week so i don't have any plugs i'm just going to lead it right back over to you Lindsay. at one of my stories what have you okay. been doing over there well i will tell you but i have been anxiously waiting for this sick mundus creatus s song to come out i'm waiting for that to drop Okay. Okay. So it's still coming then. I was like, yes. am I not looking in the right place? Okay. Um, I've had quite a lot going on. In fact, I've had uh, reviews of Oppenheimer, also Theater Camp, and I'm starting to drop reviews from Fantasia Fest. Mm -hmm. I just did an interview with a director... And now it's I'm drawing a blank who that person is, but it was the director of With Love and a Major Organ, which is a movie I reviewed at South by Southwest. 
that same movie, Kim Albright is her name. I did an interview with her and the um, the star of that movie, and so I'll be releasing that. And I'm hoping I can do a couple of interviews, although right now it's a little touch and go with the SAG stripe, but uh, these two are mm. Canadian people so they're not part of part of sag <laughs> so and got a little loophole can, there like adam yeah i've got a loophole um I'm, I'm like i'm waiting to release this interview and i know someone's gonna like give me give me flack about it but um <laughs> but yeah so that's what's going on over at one of my stories.com the number one of my stories.com you can find everything or on my youtube channel instagram Twitter, all that at one of my stories. Uh, let me give Lindsay a further plug too with one of my stories because she's been doing it for years. So if you're, you know, wanting to decide what movie you want to watch, um, I bet you can search it on her website and she might have done a review of it. So I've been surprising myself by like just randomly typing in movies in her website, and sure enough, there's a review for it. So it's it's pretty nice. You've done a lot of stuff over there. Been doing it for a lot longer than I realized. Yeah, and if you're not sure what you want, but you just want like a horror or a fantasy, I also do label things by genre. So you can just get even more random if you want to browse and see what things are on there. All right, Ellen, we'll get off this podcast and get on over to one of my stories now. <laughs> and we're going to wrap up for this week. We'll be talking to you again next week with episode six. Um. Yeah, I guess for a wrap-up, Lindsay, I hope that you always find water and shade. And your kitty cat, too. How's the cat doing? All better? <laughs> Pika's, yeah, Pika's doing better. And Steve, I hope you find water and shade and a god particle that will take you anywhere. <laughs> anywhere you want to go. I will share it with everyone. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and from both of us. Bye, everybody. Bye.